I've been hesitant, borderline leery, about doing a show on today's topic, about promoting a bike race. I've been leery about it because I didn't know how to do it correctly. I didn't want it to be about a specific race as much as it is about the topic of promoting a race. I wanted it to be about the art, the science of promotion and not about how many racers you have or how good your specific event is compared to the others. I get requests frequently from event promoters to come and talk about their race. Uh, I get requests to promote races on Instagram. And typically I demure just the simple, hey, come and race my race. And I look for something deeper. I don't want to show any overt favoritism towards any one specific race as compared to all of them. I know some of you in the background are probably saying, well, don't want to show overt favoritism. <clears throat> Project Echelon, does that ring a bell? Okay, fine. You got me. I'm guilty there. But here's the reality. The teams and the racers provide the entertainment. The promoters provide the venue. Without both or all sides, we don't have a vibrant community. We don't have a vibrant racing life in this world. So we do need to talk about how to promote a race, how to get through the obstacle course that is making sure you have the permits and making sure you're making the right decisions and you've got the police and the EMS and the officials are all like, there's a huge swath of pitfalls to fall into when it comes to promoting a race. And there is a guide from USA Cycling which will help you kind of check some boxes along the way, but a lot of it is a learned experience. You learn from those who came before you. You learn from the older, more grizzled race promoters about how he or she did it, about how they did it. And then you apply those lessons here to your path of promoting a race. So when Graham Costa came to me and said, I would like to talk about how we promote races, I was interested. I became even more interested when he accommodated so many ridiculous last second requests that I made of him in going to his own race and with such a smile and genial personality, I was just like, yes, absolutely. You're the guy who I need to work with to figure out how to tell this story of race promotion in the confines of road racing and criterium racing. So that's where we are. Absolutely, that's why Graham is here to talk about it. But more to the point, this isn't a lecture. This is not a guidebook for how to do this right. This is a collection of anecdotes, of stories, of lessons learned. It's more of a seminar. It's a way that we can all learn from the mistakes, the successes, the failures, the triumphs of each other to give riders, racers, the community as a whole, the best possible experience come race day. Because our training, our long hours, our dieting, our recovery, our sleep, all of it is in the pursuit of that one magical moment on race day. That moment where you accomplish the goal that you set out for. And when it all works together, you circle your calendar and you say, I want to come back to this race next year. 
My name is Rob Kelly. This is Criterium Nation, a show about life lived one corner at a time. We are a proud part of the Wide Angle Podium network of shows. WideAnglePodium.com is your source for the full bevy, the lineup of lineups of the best top-tier independent cycling media in the world, at least in the English-speaking world. I can't speak intelligibly about what Spanish cycling media is like because my Spanish is terrible. But I can tell you, if you want to hear about cyclocross or mountain bike racing, go to Cyclocross Radio. Bill Scheiken, Zach Schuster, and the entire cast of the media pit are there covering good topics, hard topics, critical topics for you. If you want to learn more about the pointy end of gravel racing, that's what Amanda Nauman is for. The Grodio is your source for that pointy end of the, of the peloton in the gravel community. You want to learn how to tweak your e-bike, your Zwift racing, your trainer experience to the utmost. That's why we've got Zach Schuster at Nowhere Fast. If you want to get into the weeds on bike racing, if you want to get into the weeds on any topic around cycling, and I'm, I'm not talking just about the weeds around the rail that you're going to be rail biking on, that's why we have the Slow Ride Podcast with Tim, Spencer, and Matt, three guys who know comedy and know something about bike racing too. Go to WideAnglePodium.com, become a subscriber and a supporter of the network so that we can continue to bring this to you. This is a content creator-owned effort. Go there. There's a subscribe button, a donate button that will allow you to help out shows like this one. You can donate to the whole network. You can donate to a specific show. Obviously, we would love it if you donated here. It's what helps us keep the lights on, pay for server fees and costs, equipment, travel, all of those things. So please, WideAnglePodium.com, your home for the best in cycling media. Today's episode is brought to you by our good friends at Caldera Lab. Caldera Lab is a wonderful, company that helps make you a better version of yourself. You've heard us talk about their skincare products before, about the regimen. You've heard about my voyage through this process as well, and how every day, twice a day, without fail, it has now become a ritual. It has become a relaxing part of my day. I use the clean slate to clean away everything. I use the good. I use all of it to make sure that I am presenting with my first impressions as well as I can. We are in a tough sport when it comes down to your skin. We put sunscreen on. We're in the sun itself. We are in front of wind in, in the winter, in front of the cold, dry uh, air. It's a very brutal experience. This stuff is there to make that experience less brutal on your skin and to revitalize, to use that time when you're off the bike, when you're recovering your muscles, you will also be recovering your skin. So go to calderalab.com, check out everything that they have to offer. Use the promo code CRITERIUMNATION at checkout for 20% off. That's right, 20% off your order. So Graham Costa, is going to teach us a little bit here. We are all going to learn collectively together about how you take a passion for bike racing. You turn it into a passion for leadership, community, and promotion. And you use all of that to make the best possible event for your community and for those who rely upon you. We're doing that right now. 
So my name is Graham Costa, and I started and raced for the club THR Cycling. Uh, we're based in Hampton Roads, Virginia. So we get to do a lot of geography here up front because we're going to be talking about your bike races, the races that you promote as a member of Team Hampton Roads, THR, and about the Tidewater area. So you and I, people from the Mid-Atlantic, get the sense that Virginia is divided up into like four basic parts. There's the Northern Virginia part where I live near Washington, D.C. There's Richmond. There's the vast majority of Virginia where basically nobody lives. And then there's Hampton Roads. What is or where is the Hampton Roads area? So Hampton Roads is, is kind of the southeast part of Virginia. It, um, I would classify it as technically from about Williamsburg to, you know, Virginia Beach, kind of almost to the North Carolina border. And it's, it's a good size area and it seems bigger mainly just because of the tunnels and the bridges and all the traffic associated with those. So sometimes it does take a while to, you know, get to certain areas. And uh, I'm sure that's something we'll get into uh, later in the show about how does that affect numbers at races, depending on the location of them. But the the joy of, of the Newport News, Hampton Roads, Norfolk area, even up to Williamsburg is the presence of the U.S. military. There is a ton of government money and government facilities. You've got the naval base. You've got a naval air station for the Marines. You've got Fort Eustis for the U.S. Army, the construction brigades of the U.S. Army. You've got the Coast Guard training facility at Yorktown. You've got so much government infrastructure, which means good paying jobs, which means people who've got disposable incomes, people who want to be physically active. I'd love to see a whole team of Navy SEALs on bikes. I think that would be a very entertaining way to, to do a race. But there's a lot going on in Newport News. The one thing that Newport News doesn't have any of is mountains. So your courses for all of your races are relatively flat. You've got to make them interesting in some other way. The race that we've talked about a lot here on the show this year has been your marquee event, the GC race at the Tour of Newport News. So originally, and we'll go back to 2022, the first year of the event was actually just a single criterium on a Saturday afternoon into evening time. It was called the Newport News Twilight Criterium. And that was actually born out of an idea that I had even before I started promoting, because uh, down there, there's some interesting roads uh, with slight uphill um, and you know, a fast downhill. So I was like, oh, this would be really good for a bike race, but I have no idea how to put a bicycle race on. I have no idea who to talk to. Well, it was kind of right place, right time type of thing where the one of the assistant city managers was talking to Chris Scales, who's the manager of the Trek Newport News location. And he said, yeah, we're looking for more events to bring people to the downtown area. And I said, well, I got, I got a course picked out. I got, you know, I can, this thing could be turnkey. Like, all the city would have to do is, you know, uh, pay for, you know, the police and road closures if they're willing to do that. And the guy said, yes, that they would be willing to do that. And so that started a conversation that eventually progressed to uh, the other assistant city manager so that there was no sort of conflict of interest since since the other guy knew me and knew Chris at that point. And eventually it passed on to being a Newport News City event. And the first year went really well. Uh, we had around 320 racers. 
the uh, the final two events were run at twilight, uh, so that was that was really cool. That was uh, something that's not usually done in our area, so it was a draw for people outside of our normal area. We had a lot more out of town racers than we had ever had, and so that was a good first year. But I knew we needed to do something bigger uh, to give more people a reason to come from out of town to our area, especially since. You know, sometimes, especially coming from north, the traffic can be kind of bad. So any any reason someone has to stay for the whole weekend is is something I, I tried to give them. And so the idea was born, hey, let's do a let's do let's do a three race event. And that was the original idea. So it was going to be street sprints and then it was going to be the uh, New Bernice Twilight Criterion on Saturday afternoon slash evening again. And then the third one was was possibly going to be another criterion with the city of Newport news. The problem there was that it actually presented some challenges because we actually rely on a lot of the uh, infrastructure of the city of Newport news. And so I didn't want to ask them for help on that many events in a row because they didn't have the manpower and I didn't have the manpower to move barriers that many times. That's when the assistant city manager, Bo Clayton, who actually used to be stationed at Fort Eustis, was like, hey, let's do a race at Fort Eustis. I think we can get one over there. And so uh, it took a while. Uh, As you know, the federal government takes a while to uh, make some decisions. And so it was about six months of talking to them before they even agreed to the idea of doing it. And it actually worked out really well because their their fitness center kind of took it over and it was uh it was kind of their event and I just I was just the contractor that ran it for them and so they even offered to supply the road guards you know some falling tolls which I'm sure all the military listeners have been in that position one way or the other and um it it, it just it, it fell into place perfectly and a- after the initial approvals that was actually one of the easiest events i've ever run just because it was fully locked down how the how the military does you know does things your road guards were in fatigues so when you say a voluntold it's a you know private or specialist who's been told that hey your sunday morning at eight o'clock is going to be standing on this corner but the the fun part about it is by the end of it they seem to be actually like engaged in what was happening yeah, they. I heard nothing but good things. Um, the the CEO who was in charge of them was was a little upset bef- bef- at, originally because the op order said they had to start at like eight a.m. I think it was, but but the first race actually started at eight, so that was a bit of an issue because they were driving the van backwards on the course, and so um, yeah, a couple of those guys got chewed out for that, but uh, we we got that fixed for next year. But going back to the uh, the race, the Tour Newport News, eventually it was only going to be three. Until uh, our chief ref, who works most of our races down here, Avon L. Scales, she was like, we should do a time trial. And I was I was thinking, I was like, I know the perfect location, but I don't know that we can get it. And so that, op- that opened a whole other can of worms because I thought that Crawford Road, which is a, a fairly famous road, like you can actually Google that and it'll have like a Wikipedia page because apparently it's haunted or whatever. Um, but it's just an old historic road that actually goes under the uh, tour roads there in Yorktown. And it, it's it's one road that we use for a multitude of group rides that we've used over the years. And I knew, I was like, man, this would be perfect because there's houses on either end, but nothing in the middle. So closing it down should be pretty easy. The problem was that York County doesn't own that road. VDOT does. And so getting approval from VDOT was 
a bit of a pain in the neck, but it ended up working out because their main experience with closing roads is with construction. And so even the permit you fill out, it's, it's more construction oriented and the permit lasts for like 90 days or something like that. So it's, it's when you're filling it out, you're like, none of this is relevant to me. So I hope this isn't an issue when I'm filling out this permit, but it ended up working out. Um, and, and the York County police ended up, you know, being stationed at either end and they were great. It was easy for money for them. I don't think there was a single car that tried to access the road. So, uh, after the initial headache of figuring out who to talk to about closing the roads, it ended up really going really, really well. So one thing I've noticed here in this conversation is how critical it has been to have partners at the locations. So with Newport, with, with downtown Newport news, having partners with the city managers, having partners with the commanding officers, or at least somebody at Fort Eustis and also working well with County Sheriff. Um, just a note, when we talk about Yorktown, we're talking about the Yorktown. The Crawford Road is just a stone's throw away from the location where Cornwallis surrendered to Washington and Lafayette in the Revolutionary War. So it being haunted, not a shock or a surprise given the the the, the voracious and and you know number of people that were a part of that battle. So that's a, you know, I think that's a feather in the cap for for a race right there. But how important is it when you're creating an event, when you're creating a a new event to to make these relationships and connections between you, the promoter and somebody who's in power to say yes or no? So there's there's two ways really to get a brand new race off the ground. Either it's about who you know or about how much money you have. And obviously there's not any money in bicycle racing. Um, I mean, we've, we've got some pretty good um, sponsors. Um, some of the big ones that come to mind are um, Kenmore Envelope and um, Compass Intermodal. And, and they donated a lot of money. And, and most of that money that we take is for prize money. So that we can offer, you know, pretty decent prize purses compared to some of the other regional events. In terms of the expenses for the event, we try to pay for most of those just by the money generated from the event. And so that that means you do have to know some people or you have to develop some really good relationships with them. In terms of the tour of Newport News, it was very much our right place, right time. The city was looking for ways to you know, get people to, to go to the newly revitalized and, and redone downtown area because our downtown area in Newport News is a little different than most. It's, it's more of an industrial downtown. It's not a, um, like city center type downtown like you'd have in most cities. So it's really busy during the week, you know, during the work week because you've got the shipyard, you've got city hall down there. You've got other uh, businesses that support the shipyard because I, I believe the shipyard is still the largest employer in Virginia. And um, that place is crazy uh, during the week. But in the evenings on the weekends, there's there's there was never really any reason to go down there. Well, now they've got breweries and restaurants and uh, a nice like boardwalk area. And it's it's really turned into a nice area. Um, but still, nobody knows about it. So they're how they're thinking, how can we bring people down here? And that's when I approached them with the idea. And originally it was going to be a, you know, completely THR run and sponsored and paid for event. But then the city of Newport News was like, well, what if we own it and you just run it for us? 
And I was like, I will do that if you pay for X, Y, and Z. And they agreed to that. And that's when I knew this event can happen and this event can potentially be successful because all the major expenses are going to be covered by the city. After, after the initial approval, and it was kind of a test the first year, I was like, they actually even put stipulations. It was like, if you don't have 200 registered riders a week before, we have the right to cancel it. And so that was a big push because, as you know, bike racers, they're waiting to the last week to register most of the time. Convincing people that they really needed to sign up early and not be able to check the weather, especially in the summertime when it could be storming, you know, you could have those late afternoon summer storms. It was tough, but we we made it there. And yeah, I mean, I just, we have we have pretty loyal uh, repeat riders that do our events and I can't thank them enough for always signing up early because we're, we're really good about doing basically no questions asked refunds, you know, for whatever reason, especially now in the, in the time of COVID or now that I have two kids, like I completely understand if something comes up with kids. So um, try to support riders that sign up early if they can't make it for whatever reason. Once we proved that we could put on an event and the city was happy, they were like, all right, what can we do in 2023 to expand it? And that's where the idea for more events popped up. I guess the predicate question that I didn't ask, but I probably should have asked, why even do it in the first place? What drives somebody in your position? A guy who likes racing bikes, is a bike racer himself, you know, wants to compete. What drives you to be like, you know what, time out on my personal bike racing. I'm going to put something on. Because when you put on an event like Newport News, you're not racing it yourself. You've got too many responsibilities, too many requirements. One of our good friends, Dan Netzer, he tries to race his own races. And I think he gets up at like 4.30 in the morning and doesn't get to race until like 7.30 in the afternoon. And, you know, his own personal performance might not be as well as he'd like it to. But what drives you to be the person to be like, you know what, let's do this. There's actually a couple different reasons, and some of them might surprise you. It kind of started with talking to guys like Walt Gardner, who uh, owns Village Bicycles, which is one of the sponsoring shops that sponsors THR. And he would talk about, you know, all the old time races that they used to have that had disappeared. And actually, one of the guys, uh, Dave Venable, was one of the guys who who put on a lot of those races, and he used to, he used to run THR before me. He was actually the one who I asked for his blessing to, to bring it back. And, and he's actually a, a good family friend of my father-in-law. And so we still, you know, play ping pong every once in a while. I mean, that kind of motivated me because there were no races and I'm in a position because of what I do with construction. We have access to a lot of resources like trailers. Um, we have contacts with Spivey for Portageons. We have contacts with United Rentals for uh, tower lighting for, for, Twilight Criteriums. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's really not hard to, to put on some of the events because of the resources that we have. We have, you know, box trucks to move barriers and stuff like that. So, and, and even in a pinch, we have, uh, you know, crews of employees that we can send to help us set up. Um, we haven't had to do that yet, fortunately, because we do have a good volunteer base with the club because it's a fairly large club. But I just feel like because I have these resources, it's kind of a responsibility for me to do this because I have the capability to do it. And I actually, 
I really enjoy it because there's something about the the thrill of trying to do something new and it might seem like it's too out there and it'll never happen. Well, that, that challenge kind of motivates me almost like when someone tells you no, and that kind of kind of drives you to prove them wrong. It's, it's something like that in me that not necessarily to prove somebody wrong, but it's just, this seems like it would be hard, but it would be really cool. Let me see if we can do this. And I mean, there, there's been plenty of possible races that I, you know, tried to get the ball rolling on that just didn't happen because I didn't have uh, someone with the city or a landowner was immediately like, no, they wouldn't even let me, you know, break it down for them and explain how easy it would be on their part. Yeah. I just feel like I have a responsibility to do it. One, one reason that probably isn't something that anyone would have thought about is when I was younger and even today I have ADHD and having, having something to always be working on and planning just keeps my mind in a good place. And so otherwise it'll, it'll kind of drift to uh, thinking about negative things. And so having something big like the tour of Newport news or these other events to constantly be, you know, what do, what do I need to do? What have I forgotten? What can I do better? Who do I need to call? It just keeps me, keeps me mentally sharp and in a good place. So that's, that's another reason that I like to, to put on these events and, and I like to grow them to be bigger and bigger. How much does uh money come into effect? I mean, are you, are you going to, are you going to get rich off this? Is that, is that the goal? So, I mean, the first event I actually got personally paid for was actually the Newport News Twilight Criterium the first year. And, uh, I think I, I think I charged them 2000 or 2,500 for my services. That was a unique contract though, because the way we worked it out was I would open up my books to them and show them all of the expenses. And, I would basically give them back whatever money we made from the event and then they would write me a check for 2500 just just because it was a a test and they were spending a lot of money with no expectation for return and so I think I think I wrote them a check for maybe $400 that that year that's how much money we ended up making on it and then they wrote me a check for I think it was like $2100 or something which was balance and so all of that money I actually put back into THR for future events. This year, I asked for a little more from them just because we were doing the street sprints as well. And I grossly underestimated how much work the Tour of Newport News was going to be. The, um, the main issue is that Newport New- the city of Newport News actually makes all the logos and marketing material for me. And I just tell them kind of what I want or you know how to gear it towards the racing audience which is great, except for their largest event they put on is actually the Newport News One City Marathon, which is in March. And so my event was middle of April. And so their main focus was the uh, marathon for, you know, leading up to it. And so we were kind of cramming, you know, okay, I need these race flyers. I need these logos for these three new events. Uh, And it just kind of yeah, just just moving around a lot and making a lot of phone calls and trying to get it done while these other uh, you know city employees are working on marathon stuff and and other events that they always have going on every weekend, and so that that kind of made it tough that first and second year. Um, but for next year, a lot of that's already done. You just got to change some dates, uh, get like a tech guide for next year just to kind of break down the Omnium rules a little better. I mean, you guys had billboards 
Like the there were legit billboards on the interstate leading into and out of Hampton Roads that talked about the tour of Newport News. You, you know that it, it's a legit event when you're getting advertising on that level. Because for a lot of us, the only way we find out about an event is on Bike Reg. You're like, oh, I'm scrolling through local events in my calendar and there's, there's this event that's happening. Oh, cool, I'll, I might wanna do it. Now you're actually not only marketing to the people who are coming to the race to race, but you're marketing to people who are spectators, marketing to people who are just in town doing their thing, going to the pizzeria, which by the way, pretty solid pizzeria there right on the course for the street sprints. You know, you're marketing to all of these different people. How much of the pitch to Newport News was, I'm not gonna bring just 400 bike racers. I'm gonna bring 400 bike racers plus their families, plus X percentage of people who are just curious. So actually, like a lot of those banners and stuff, the city just did. They didn't even tell me that it was happening. Like one time I was, the first year I was driving down Ward Boulevard and uh, I see a banner on the overpass for Mercury Boulevard. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. So apparently that's something they do for all of their events that are in that area down there, just to advertise them to the public. Uh, and actually the first year we did an interview with a local TV station, which was pretty cool. I think it's on YouTube with about 80 views, but it, it was a good time. And so the city really, I guess we should probably preface this by saying Newport News is not exactly a vacation destination city. It's kind of a city that you pass through to go to Virginia Beach. And so the city of Newport News puts a lot of time and effort into events and festivals to get people down there. And the way they do that is, is they have a really good marketing department and they're just really organized. They put on events pretty much every single weekend and some during the week. So it's not just my event that that's going on. It's every weekend, you know, weekend before there was an event, the weekend after there was an event. This past weekend, there was an event in City Center. It's called Made in Newport News. It's like a part of their new slogan and, and motto pitch. So, I mean, it's they're always working on events to bring to bring out the best in the events and to bring out the most people. And so they, they really do a good job of just making everything look really professional because, because I don't have the capabilities to do graphic design like that or, or even the time to, to spend doing you know some of these posts. Because social media is actually the, the, heart, the part I hate the most about promoting because it's just so after you do all the meetings and, and all the bike reg and paperwork and permitting and stuff, it's just like, man, I don't have the mental capacity right now to do the social media required. So kudos to to those races that that do a really good job on the social media. And I mean, eventually, maybe I'll find somebody who who is passionate about doing the social media for those events. Um, I just have to find the right person. But it is it is draining to do that. And Newport News makes it easier with all the stuff that they provide me. But it's still it's constant content that you got to get out there. The nuts and bolts. And I find this to be interesting. We put on an event that's a one day office park criterium. It comes complete with orange cones and some tape. I mean, it's it is I don't want to say it's bare budget or bare bones because we've got a space jump, like a moon bounce sort of thing. And, and we've got a lot that goes into it. And my co-promoter is out there cutting the grass 
on this corporate industrial park to make sure that it all looks good. So even those bare bones things still require way more work than you ever would have imagined. When it comes down to designing an event and figuring out what distances, what times, what fields, you know, who's gonna be the person who's gonna be paying your bills for you sort of thing when it comes down to registrants for athletes. Like, what are the considerations that you as a promoter go through? It's it's very much past performances. Um, like if someone tries to go straight to a big event like the Tour of Newport News as their first race, that would be super risky just because there's a lot of things you learn even from the smaller events. Uh, predominantly, it's the Cat 4-5 fields, Cat 3-4 fields, the uh, 45 and 55 plus Masters fields that, that pay a lot of the bills. Um, one, two, three fields didn't used to be very strong, but but now they've gotten really popular. I mean, we've we've maxed out a couple of 60 and 75 person one, two, three fields in some of my uh, races that were early season. And I think that's that's could be kind of summed up by the fact that we have more ones, twos, and threes now than we've ever had in our area as guys, you know, work their way through four and get upgraded and whatnot. But it's just based on past performance. And, and I kind of, like even last year, I made a mistake where I kind of handicapped myself because I had a cat five only instead of a cat four five. And then I had a cat three four. So I kind of handicapped how many times the fours could race, which really hurt my numbers, my raw numbers. Uh, not so much the total income because I'm one of those promoters that'll do, uh, you know, your second race is 10 bucks or 20 bucks. Um, and your first race is full price. Um, so it doesn't make a whole lot of difference monetarily, but in terms of the raw numbers that you can go back and show the city of Newport News, like, hey, we had, you know, four or 500 registrations, you know, that looks good. And so the reason I did that was because of safety reasons, especially for the Twilight Crit, because that course is kind of technical. And so putting, you know, 75 cat four fives on that course is, kind of risky. Um, and another, I mean, not just for crashes, but also the first year we had a four or five and there was a number of guys that got pulled about two laps in just because of the, you know, if you don't get clipped in right away, you got some, I don't want to say sandbagging cat fours, but you got some cat fours that are probably, you know, twos or threes in, in the power and skill department. And so they would just take off. And, and before you know it, guys were getting, you know, almost lapped in two laps. And so we had a couple of people that are you know, requesting refunds because of how quickly they got pulled. And some of them I did give refunds, you know, because it came from far away and I didn't want them to have a, you know, horrible first experience. But that's, that's kind of what goes into it as well. It's, it's very much course dependent, uh, how I break up the categories. Even something more basic, the time of year that you choose to run your event. I know from Mabra, a huge part of discussion of any community is like, this is my date. Nobody touches my date. And I mean, even at the national level, like there are certain events that you're just like, why aren't you on Memorial Day weekend? Well, I'm never going to touch Memorial Day weekend because it's so-and-so's race. I'm never going to touch this date because it's Tour of America's Dairyland. And we saw this year an overlap of Dairylands and nationals and numbers came down for Dairylands, which is awful, but it makes sense because Nationals is a bigger draw for somebody. You know, your event is in mid-April. One of the things that we have to consider here is I-95 and drawing people from outside of the area. What are the things that you're sitting there looking at going, okay, 
I can't do it in February and I can't do it in August, but I can do it like here. Yeah, that part was actually a struggle because all we have to go off of, I mean, some of the bigger events have declared their dates, you know, year, like a year in advance or, or at least, you know, six, eight months in advance. But a lot of them, you just kind of have to go back and see, all right, when was this event and how far away was it last year? Or because COVID's kind of messes up, some, some races haven't happened since 2019 and they maybe come back this year. And so... I actually called around um, like Wilmington Grand Prix. I called that promoter and was like, Hey man, like when are you going to do your race this year? And that kind of influenced when I picked the date and also speed week, speed week. I wanted to be, I didn't want to overlap a speed week. And, and I thought actually being before speed week would be to my advantage because it would give people a nice like full weekend racing block before speed week kicked off, maybe get the legs going. Yeah. Cause last year, last year you, stepped over speed week because i remember i was at speed week and i and maybe it was your race maybe it was hampton where it was just like i could drive back from athens hit your race and then go all the way back to dc so well the the 2022 event actually overlapped with intelligentsia and the reason i didn't want to use uh july again well there was a couple different reasons one was there's a lot of people that are doing vacations with their kids, you know, before they go back to school. Um, but the biggest thing, I was losing sleep for the week leading up to it because we had had thunderstorms almost every night. And because that race was going to be run in the evening, um, you know, I, I'm running through my head, you know, what do I have to do if this thing has to be canceled? Because we've got so much money into this thing. You know, it's going to be horrible. People are traveling from, from Pennsylvania, Colorado. Some people came from Colorado, Florida, you know. And so that was one of the reasons I wanted to get away from doing an evening nighttime event during the summer. And May is an extremely busy month for bicycle racing. June is a little less so, but you've got like armed forces at the beginning that you don't want to overlap with. And by the time you get to June, from, from what we've seen is racers start getting burnt out about that time of year. They start taking vacations. Um, you know, they got injury or, you know, they're coming back from illness. And I just feel like if you can get them early while they're still hungry and motivated to travel, um, April is just kind of the sweet spot for that. Cause our racing down here starts end of February with the, uh, Tidewater Winter Classic and then Todd Stadium crit after that. It's usually a collegiate double weekend in, uh, Williamsburg and Newport News and, that gives people enough time from February and March to be prepared for something like the tour of Newport news, because I am pretty proud of the fact that it, it draws some pretty good competition down. I mean, we had um, some guys from North Carolina that came that, that put on a good show and um, you know, all, you know, the Richmond teams, we got some of the Maverick teams down. I would like to see some more of the big Maverick teams next year um, come down and, and give the race a chance. Uh, but, you know, we'll see. Um, but it just, it gives everybody enough time to get the legs going. And then that's kind of the first hard race of the year. You had mentioned Wilmington and Speed Week as far as people that you had reached out to because you didn't want to step on their toes. I think it makes sense to kind of lay some geography. I mean, Wilmington, Delaware, where Wilmington Grand Prix is, is not close to Newport News. Like it's, it's a driving distance, but from DC to to Newport News is three, three and a half hours, depending on traffic, the time of the year. If it's during the summer, it could be 
eight, nine, 10 hours because I-95 is, is a cesspool. You know, when you're coming from Georgia, which is where Speed Week is primarily, that's five or six hours from Atlanta to Newport News. So are you actually considering these are not necessarily competitor events, but events that you want to work in collaboration with despite the long distance between those locations? Especially if you're a new event going up against established events, it it looks better on the calendar if you're kind of the only one on that weekend or you're the only a big event. Uh, I mean, I don't know how many I would lose to Wilmington Grand Prix or even Speed Week if it, if it did overlap. But I do know that I have a lot of riders that come from Pennsylvania, um, South Carolina, North Carolina, and even New York. So, I mean, it's, it'd be an easy decision for them to just, you know, do Wilmington or to do Speed Week if I overlap with them. And so it, it did take a while to finally pick the weekend that we, that we went with, uh, this pat this year, which was, uh, April 14 to 16, I think it was this year. Uh, and then next year's is going to essentially be the same weekend. It's April 12 through 14, uh, for that same reason. I kind of feel like now we've put our stamp on that weekend and I feel like it's, it's gotten to the point now where other events will not want to overlap with that event. Uh, especially not if it's, you know, a small local event somewhere within our region. And so I guess that's kind of just the reward for, for having a successful event is that now you kind of can take state claim to that weekend. You know, in, in looking at what you're talking about, I recall last year, so 2022, um, I did part of Speed Week and because of some family obligations, I was going to end up instead of going to LaGrange, which is on the Alabama-Georgia border, I was going to stick around and do a, a race in Rock Hill near Charlotte. They ended up canceling the Rock Hill race because registration numbers were so low. Now, Rock Hill, South Carolina versus LaGrange, Georgia, that's a four-hour drive, but still there was a, a, a pool, a draw, that they didn't want to split the number of races. When you look at your market, when you look at the market share for riders coming from different locations, how many of the riders were you anticipating coming from, you know, the immediate area, like people who could drive that morning, get to the race and drive home, as opposed to people like me who had to stay in a hotel? Putting on previous events kind of gives you an idea of what your ceiling is for people in your immediate area. And I would say Hampton Roads has between 90 to 120 dedicated racers that will be at your race. To go above that number, you have to start pulling people from Richmond, from you know Charlottesville, from Northern Virginia. If Maver has a ton of racers, as you know, I mean, if, if we could grab all of the Maver racers to come down to an event, we wouldn't need anybody else to come from out of state, honestly. So it, it just, we know kind of where our, minimum ceiling is with, with everyone showing up. I mean, that obviously depends on time of year. And like I said, summertime, some people are on vacation and whatnot. So that actually hurt our numbers of local participants the first year. Um, second year was better because we didn't have any, you know, nobody was on vacation. There was no overlapping events. So we were kind of, kind of the only thing going on. And it was early season when people 
we're still, you know, traveling and not tired of, of cramming in a car for six hours. And so we, we had an idea that, you know, we could hit 300 again, but I wanted to surpass that. And we did. I mean, depending on how you look at the numbers, if you break it down per event, I think it was like a thousand two hundred total registrations for the whole weekend and that, that includes all four events, which is which is solid. I, I mean I guess that would make it the largest multi-day race in Virginia numbers wise. And which is which is pretty cool in its second year. I don't think that's anywhere near the ceiling for this event just because of you know it's it's only in its second year. Word of mouth is going to continue to make it grow and everyone I talked to was like, I'm going to go back and tell all my teammates to come back, which is cool. I mean, that honestly, like people like to thank me all the time, you know, for putting on the races. And I'm like, man, just, just coming out and doing these races and signing up early. That's, that's all you got to really do. You don't have to you know, go out of your way to thank me or any of that. Just, just showing up is means you, means you appreciate what I'm doing. And and you're excited to race these events. When it comes to marketing, how critical is it to market to the teams? So, you know, if you want to market to a big team, not just Mabra teams, but to ButcherBox, Project Echelon, Goldman Sachs, ETFs, like these teams that do the circuit in the United States, how important is it to you to, as the promoter, reach out and say, hey, come and give my event a shot. Come on, give it a shot. Try it out. That, that's actually a good question. Um, because talking to like the promoter who does armed forces, um, the way he looks at an event is totally different from the way I approach an event. I'm not necessarily concerned with getting like the big teams out there. Like I, I was actually contacted by uh, someone with Butcher Box, and the first question was, "Well, how many live stream cameras are you going to have?" And the answer was actually one. We had one live stream camera that was going to like a live YouTube channel for the city of Newport News, so it was fixed on the finish line, so there wasn't really much to see. But it was you know better than most races. But to to draw some of those teams, I think it really is about like exposure. And so that would mean additional expense with cameras and, and, and stuff like that. And, and even talking to Frankie Andreu, he was like, cause I was when USA crit still existed, um, you know, a year ago or so I was asking him, you know, it'd be kind of cool to get on that calendar. And he was like, honestly, your event doesn't really need to be on that calendar. Uh, it just depends on what you want your event to be. And there's, there's even an internal struggle within Newport News as to what they want the event to be. Um, Assistant City Manager wants it to be a national level event with um, all kinds of other festivals and, you know, uh, other things going on at the same time. But then the, the, the people who are actually in charge of getting it, you know, to happen, they're like, we just want it to stay just a bike race and, you know, be like a regional level race where we're happy with X amount of people that show up. So we even have some division within the city itself as to whether this event goes national and brings those big teams and, you know, we're, we're comping entries and, and, and getting get, uh, host housing and stuff like that. So that's just other things you have to think about if you're going to attract those bigger teams is um, host housing. Um, sometimes I guess you comp some of their entries and whatnot. So I, I don't have experience with the big teams coming. It would be cool if they did come, but it, honestly, I would be happy with just like all of the big 
local teams, the localish meaning Mavra, um, Hampton Roads, and whatnot. If, if all those teams just showed up, um, especially in the one, two, three um, categories, and, and just made a good showing, um, maybe eventually I'll turn my focus to the bigger, you know, pro teams because that definitely brings some prestige when they show up. But it's it's really just honestly what you want the event to be, and at this point. I don't know that I want the event to be that level because I do have a day job and I don't know that I can handle um, something of that level, nor do I know if Newport News even wants it to be quite that level. Um, so right now we're just having fun with it as a you know big regional event that is growing. And I'd be happy with it just being a big East Coast event that people circle in their calendars. Um, but But actually what makes me really proud of that event and just the other events I put on is people will say I have that weekend circled on my calendar and I got my coach giving me a workout so that I compete for that event. So to, to kind of affect somebody's life in that way where their main focus is something that I'm putting on that I'm working on. That's, that's like way cooler than any amount of thank yous that somebody could give me. That's just, just the coolest thing ever, in my opinion. When it comes to deciding on categories, this is something that we've been talking about in the past is, you know, especially for development of riders, you had mentioned not having a dedicated cat four race or having a cat four race where you had fours with threes and things like that. One of the things that I thought that you did, which was positive is you had your own twos race. You know, locally, and I bet you in a lot of places, Cat 1-2 is synonymous. It's just like it rolls off the tongue as far as a thing that you know. But, you know, you go to a bigger race like Intelligentsia, Toad, Gateway, uh, Valley of the Sun, he, uh, not Gila, but Tucson Bicycle Classic, even Speed Week, you've got, or Wilmington. You know, you've got dedicated Cat 2 races. Why was it a priority for you to have this Cat 2-3 race for the men? It was a priority because I have a number of people that not only race for my club, but for other local clubs that are that are new Cat 3s or new Cat 2s. And we none of the events in our area do a 2-3 just because the numbers wouldn't be good enough. But I, I felt like with the potential draw of the event, that we could really get enough people to make the two, three, one of the bigger categories. And it actually, I think it was the second or third biggest category behind the four fives or behind the uh, three fours. And um, it, I mean, it ended up working out for us. Uh, but, but one of the main driving forces behind the two, three was you've got cat twos that maybe aren't, they don't, they're not at the level they want to be at yet to race against the P one, two guys. Or you have some threes that are that are racing really well and they want to test themselves against the cat twos. And so it, it really brought in, you know, two different groups of people that had, you know, different goals. You know, some twos that were just trying to get their legs going for the year and some threes who were going really well that wanted that competition. And it gave them a chance to compete against each other. And, and that, that was actually a really fun uh, category to watch throughout the four days of racing. So one other group of bike racers oftentimes underrepresented in promoter discussions and dialogues just because there's not as many licensed women bike racers. But you ran a Cat 1-2-3 race for the women 
and you also ran a 4-5. So there were standalone races. You did have masters women's racing uh, as well, but that is a struggle, I know, for a lot of promoters, is how to properly place women's bike racing, not only in the day, but just in the series or in the event overall. What were your considerations there? So any race that I do, I will always have a, a women's one, two, three, and a women's four, five. And generally a, a women's masters, there's at least usually one like women's masters 35 plus, which is, you know, I mean, the older women kind of get the short end of the stick there because um, they have to race against the younger masters, but there's just not enough time in the day a lot of times. And, and especially with, with the way the tour of Newport News is structured, you've got the time trial, the Crawford Road time trial Saturday morning. And then you've got about two, two and a half hours, depending on how many people do the time trial before the Newport News Twilight Criterium starts. And I mean, there's always more setup to do as soon as you leave the time trial to, to get there. So, I mean, you can only extend that day so much and you can only go so late in the night too. I mean, cause there's, there's noise ordinances. I think we're supposed to be done by 10 o'clock. So, I mean, we always have that buffer in case, you know, there's some delays with the races, but we can't, we can't go to 11, 12 o'clock nor would we want to because we have, you know, races starting at 8 a.m. on Sunday at the Fort Eustis circuit race. So we're kind of limited by the amount of time. I mean, we have hard stops, unlike some of the other races I put on where you can run over a little bit or you can take up as much time as you need. It's generally just, you know, more time for the track at Langley Speedway or, you know, more money for the track or more police officer money for the Hampton Criterion, which is another race that I put on. And so... I, I feel like, yes, there aren't a whole lot of women uh, racing, but they should, they still deserve their chance to race. And I wish I could offer additional categories. I know some, some of them do a two, three for the women and some of them do a three, four, the three, fours are actually really popular. And I mean, it's, it may be something we'll look into for next year, um, depending on if we change some of the categories up and, and we can find a little, you know, a spot for them on the, on the schedule. Um, but it's just, it's tough, especially with these bigger events and I'm not even paying the, the bill for the police, but I mean, promoters that are paying the bill, they might not be recouping the, the cost to block the course for that amount of time. And so that can make it difficult. So what you have is you have these other categories subsidizing the women's fields, which, which is fine. I mean, subsidization is, is, it's a part of life. I mean, it's not just bike racing that that is mutually exclusive for that. It's, it goes on in, in, in all parts of life. But for me personally, I, anytime possible, I try to do equal time, which some promoters don't do. They still give, you know, the men's one, two more time than the men, the women's one, two. And so, but I always try to do the same amount of time just so it's, just so it's fair. And then also prize money. Now, normally with my prize money, especially if it's a larger payout, I'll do what's called a, um, can't think of the word off the top of my head right now, but it's basically if you state that you have to have this amount of people on the flyer to qualify for this prize payout, then you're, then the promoter is, is, uh, able to pay out what it says exactly on the flyer. So to protect ourselves, we'll usually say, all right, you need to have 25 women or 30 women starters to get the full payout. Cause it's, it's usually a, for some of my events, it's, it's a pretty significant amount of money for the size of our events. I mean, other events they're doing, you know, two, three times what we pay out, but 
in terms of the scale of our event, it's, it's a good chunk of it. And so to protect, you know, the event financially, sometimes we have to do that, that, uh, sliding scale, uh, payout. And so we, we give the women the ability to have the same payout. It just requires them to get, to get more women to sign up. And I, I know that's difficult, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough just to, to do full payout when there's fields of, you know, 15 women, especially when you're talking two, $3,000. How much have you relied on other older promoters? Not necessarily older in age, but older in experience. Like, how did you learn to do these things? Was it just trial and error or was it family friends teaching you the, the Jedi like approach of running a race? So the first race that I ever put on, I actually put it on with another guy. It was uh, Eric Crandall of Rogue Velo Racing. They're based in Suffolk. Eric had been promoting for a number of years, and he was he was pretty decent at it. Um, and so he kind of showed me the permitting process and how to use bike reg. And that that that's kind of like the main things to get started. Um, everything else is just, like I said before, like who you know or just filling out you know, local permits and, and sometimes doing, you know, meetings and stuff like that. But, but the actual nuts and bolts of it are, you know, permitting it with USA Cycling and then uh, permitting it with the local city and then setting up the bike reg. And once you've done that a few times, it's not too bad. But, but probably the promoter that I relied on the most would be Dan Netzer. Um, I mean, there's been some races where he'll just even call me and go, hey, do you want me to do your results for you? You know, just as a thank you. Um, and some, you know, a couple of times I've actually had him do that. And then I feel bad because we get, there's a lot of issues or results that, um, not work, work Dan's fault when he was uploading them or anything, just, you know, the, the officials might've missed a number or something like that. So we got to go back and fix them. Um, but Dan, yeah, Dan Netzer is a legend for local promoting. And I mean, he, back when I first started racing in 2017, he put on the majority of the races and he's, he still puts on a lot of races. And somehow he's able to race his own races. Um, I haven't quite perfected that skill. And do good too. Yeah, he can, he, his time trial, especially, he can, he'll be the last one that goes out and he'll still throw down a good time uh, somehow. Um, but yeah, I mean, the events that I put on are mentally and physically draining. I mean, I don't, I don't make it easy on myself. Like I'll be out there, I think the, the first, yeah, the first year of the Newport News Twilight Criterium, I walked. 21 miles is what my uh, phone said. Um, Cause I had to personally set up me and another guy on the team, a guy named Brian LeCount had to set up all of the barricades ourselves. So that was, that was a lot of walking. And then just throughout the day, just, you know, walking around. So, I mean, it is a physically demanding job. So when people say, Hey, how come you're not racing your own race? I'm like, I don't even think I could, honestly. I mean, I, I do, I am able to race my cyclocross races because a lot of times we'll set those up the day before. So a lot of the hard work and manual labor, is done and, and those races are chill because um, all the racers are chill. I um, mean, if you have if you have a, someone slide out in a corner, they can only be injured so bad. So I mean, like medical uh, emergencies are, are you know pretty insignificant or, or they never happen. So I am able to race my cyclocross races, but my road races it is it is tough. It seems like there's always something that comes up. What do you think is the thing that people who have never promoted or maybe they're level of in, in involvement in promotion has been showing up and road guarding sort of thing. What do you think is the, the thing that you need to 
be aware of the most that you're not going to be aware of. And I'm going to take away the obvious answer that it all takes much more time than you think it does. So you can't have that answer. What do you think other than that is, hey, this is going to be a thing. It's it's fairly expensive up front, especially depending on the city you're working with, because um, some cities some cities require a lot more insurance than others. So, and, and you have to pay for the insurance certificates up front and the permitting costs. Uh, I mean, I, I put on an event at, in Richmond this year at Bryan Park, which Bryan Park's famous for the training race series, which runs throughout the summer. I think it's it's 50th year or something. Well, we put on an event at the end of March at Bryan Park because that had never been done on a weekend. And so people who don't live in Richmond had never really had the chance to race the legendary Bryan Park. And so we did that this year. And just the permitting fee with the city of Richmond was $960. And that's money that you're fronting. Like, there's no guarantee you'll ever get that money back. Yes. And, and actually, actually, at the time, because I had permitted so many other events, the THR's account like didn't even have that much money in it, in it. So I had to put my own money into it and then get reimbursed later just to get that permit secured. And so... That I mean, that's rare. Like if I do a permit in the city of Newport News for a cross race or whatever, it's $50. So Richmond seems to think that their parks are, are worth that. And I guess me paying that proves the point. But, but when you have an event in Richmond, it's so easy to get people to show up. Kind of like events in Mavra. I mean, you've got so many people that are just crammed in that area that it's not that big of a deal to get there. And so it's just it's just a lot easier to get people to show up. And and so, I mean, that's it can be expensive up front. Uh, and for, for instance, the city of Newport News requires uh, special endorsements on their insurance. So every time I do an event with the city of Newport News, instead of a fifteen dollar uh, certificate of insurance, it's usually two twenty five because they require three endorsements and they're seventy five dollars each through USA Cycling. So, I mean, it's just a part of doing business, but it's 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 going to be different depending on what city or what government or whoever that you're working with. Um, something else uh, to think about when doing races is your officials pool. How many officials do you have in your local area? And a couple of years ago, we didn't have that many. And so we would have to pay officials to come from out of town. And that means you have to pay drive mileage. You have to get them a hotel room. You have to give them per diem. So that kind of all adds up especially if you're just a local, you know, uh, grassroots style race that doesn't have a whole lot of registrations, uh, you know, and income to, 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 to pay that off. And so that's something else to consider is how many officials do I have in my area? And I, I fortunately have a really good relationship with all of our officials. So if I'm even thinking about doing a race, I'll pick up the phone and call them and ask, all right, how many officials do you think we'll need? How many motos do you think we'll need? Because motos is a whole nother thing. Um, you got to pay drive mileage for the motos that are driving in the race. And then not only that, you got to get insurance for them, which you also pay up front. So there's definitely a lot of hidden costs that you might not have thought about. Um, bib numbers. I mean, you can, you can be bougie like, like we did for the tour of Newport news and do fabric numbers from cutaway. They're significantly, they're significantly more expensive. Fabric, fabric numbers from Cutaway are legendary in this region. Everybody knows that your event is a legit event if you've got Cutaway bib numbers. Mm -hmm. And and fortunately, 
they were a sponsor of the event, so that he gave us a really good deal on those numbers. But uh, I mean, other events I put on uh, and used cutaway numbers, yeah, it's it's about three times the cost of a paper number. And so a lot of times for my smaller one day events, I'll just do paper. But you know, for a multi day event, we're going to be pinning it a number of times. We actually got uh, the fabric numbers, and we did uh, duplicate numbers for some of the bigger races, the uh, Twilight Crit and the Circuit Race, so that if a moto needed to talk to you or pull you or reprimand you, they could see the number on both sides. And so that, you know, whatever your your expense was, multiply it by two. And so a lot of, a lot of times you got to pay for those up front uh, as well. So, I mean, it can really, really add up to, to be a lot of money. Let me ask you this. It's a big one for us because volunteers and volunteer either apathy or fatigue is a real thing. Our our race here requires 70 volunteers for one day. It's ex- insanely volunteer intensive. We don't have the luxury of barricading things off because it's an office park. But how do you make sure that you've got enough people in enough places and not pay them too? With THR, uh I knew eventually that I wanted to put on a bunch of races. And so we kind of started at the beginning and we built the club to about 60 to 70 members specifically for that reason to have a pool of volunteers, you know, with which to, to be able to rely on. And we've got so many selfless volunteers. I mean, the, the THR cycling, uh, vice president, Brian Reeves, um, the Mokri family, they're at every event working registration. Um, uh, Leslie, she works registration. Anybody who did tour of New Burmese probably met her. Um, so we've got just so many volunteers that are always willing to help. And it, it, it makes it, it makes those events possible. Otherwise, I mean, I, I do a lot of the work myself, especially ahead of time. But on race day, I'm running around so much that I can't handle everything. And so uh, I usually get, um, when we don't have Frankie Andreu doing podiums, I usually get uh, Brian Reeves at my other events to do the podiums for me. And that has helped tremendously this year, especially. So, I mean, volunteers are, are just, just key. And it's, it's so tough to ask somebody, especially if they plan on racing, to stand out on a corner holding a flag, especially during the summer when it's hot. And, I mean, we had, that, we had a whole bunch of volunteers that, that showed up for the Franklin Inferno, which is Dan's state championship road race. And there was guys that were on the corner all day on Saturday and then raced on Sunday. And it's hard because it was, it was like over a hundred degrees that weekend. Yeah. I mean, they just, they just do it because they want to see the sport continue and, and we need more of that. And I wish, I wish everybody would, would spend some time, you know, helping out, but I know it's tough, especially, especially people with kids or, you know, family or they got to get home, you know, they drove a while and they need to get home right away. I mean, I get it, but it would be nice if, if all bike racers helped, you know, at, at some point with some events. One of the things that I loved about your event are what I will call the accoutrement that went with it. So there's little details. Like these are the things that I think really separate a good event from a great event or a great event from an excellent event. You know, like recently we had Intelligentsia, they had the Triple Crown, the DuPage Triple Crown, three races within it. They actually had a throne and a crown that the winner of the triple crown could sit in and wear and get pictures taken. 
it's stupid. It was cliche. It was it was everything that you could possibly dream of. And I loved everything. You know, you've got a podium with a great backdrop. You have Frankie Andreo doing your announcing and doing your awards. You have cookies, actually, like really good cookies that come with first, second and third, except for first, second and third for the Omnium, which is just a personal gripe since I was third in the Omnium. I wanted a damn cookie. But like the jersey, the winner's jersey that came up afterwards. Where did these ideas come from? These little tiny details that make it special, that make it so it's not just office park crit. This is cool. So every year we try to get better. And I guess you could you could probably go back to my ADHD and OCD excuse for that. Um, I'm just sitting around thinking pretty much 24-7 leading up to those events, like what can we do to set them apart? And so this year we actually got some etched pints, pint glasses from a, a local uh, supplier. And, and those were really popular. I mean, because they weren't, they weren't super expensive if you bought, you know, over 50 of them. So, I mean, that just kind of like, all right, I can give people cash or I can give them this. And I feel like I always enjoy getting these at events because I, because I can go to my uh, cabinet and drink from it. And I think back to that event. So I, that those kind of things are cool for me personally. Like I could care less about medals. Like some people are all about getting medals, but first thing I do when I get a medal is chuck it in the the, the trash can when I get home or I give it to my, one of my sons because they like to play with them. But um, we try to think of, you know, useful events. And the cookies are just something we do at every single one of our events. That's not special to the tour of Newport News. It's, I usually, my mom usually goes and and, and gets them and then uh, bags them up for everybody. So that's um, just something she helps out with with the race. But in terms of the little details, we try to, try to get better every year. We actually built that podium and finished it a couple of days before the race. Uh, one of the guys that I work with can uh, weld aluminum. So we built it out of aluminum and we made them so that they can nest within each other. You know, they're real portable and we've used them at some other events this year. Um, and, and the city of Newport news even designed some, some uh, nice uh, signs that could go on the front of them, which, which made it look really pro actually. I was, I was really happy with the way it turned out. Um, but I feel like the, the details, the details, like you said, are what separate events. And once you get the nuts and bolts of an event, you know, and you got that, you know, done and approved, you know, a month ahead of time, the rest of the time I'm just spending, you know, how can we make this event a little bit better each time? And eventually I'm sure I'll get to the point where I can't make it better, you know, cause I've thought of everything or I've done everything or, or, uh, you know, something is cost prohibitive. Um, but I mean, something we're, we're going to try to work on for next year is maybe getting like a finish line truss with the clock and all that stuff, just because it seems, you know, it seems to make an event like stand out and it's just something the bigger events do. Um, of course, you know, f having Frankie there just automatically elevates it, just hearing his voice and, and just the, uh, the star factor and you know, people coming to want to get a picture with him. And, and Frankie, Frankie is awesome, man. He's just. So give us a teaser here. We're we're at the hour mark, so we have to we have to wrap up. But give us a teaser here for what is the way that you are going to elevate your game for next year, so that you can bring this event from regional to super regional. So we're gonna we're gonna reevaluate some of the categories. 
I'm going to keep the 2-3 and the P-1-2 and the 3-4, but I might add back in a 4-5, or I might do a 4-5 and then a Cat-5 novice by itself, because I do actually have the time to do that with the Twilight Criterion, which is the main factor in terms of the time amount and the amount of categories we can do. I might remove the women's masters just because I think we had a grand total of five and we had every age group available. So that just was not a popular category, but in terms of elevating it, like I talked about the, uh, the finish line trusts um, and, and our plan with the city of Newport news is to really market to the, uh, the spectators and people that live in the Hampton roads area to come out and watch, especially the uh, twilight criterium. Cause that was actually, the one thing that I think we can improve, especially for the final race of the day, is we had we had more spectators the first year than we did the second year. I think there's a couple of reasons for that. Uh, there's a number of people that, you know, they want to race and then they just want to go to their hotel room or go grab dinner so that they can prep for the next day, you know, get off their feet. Um, so that's part of it. But also, yeah, I mean, I, I think we can get a lot more spectators out there. And so that's going to be a focus of myself and the city of Newport News for next year in terms of the marketing. And maybe even attach like some sort of other festival, you know, to it because we've got some pretty good adjacent. There's that grass block that's actually called Super Block, um, where they do events as well. Um, or, or maybe even bring, uh, you know, a, an ABC area right next to the course so that people don't have to go one block over to go to Coastal Fermentory and Ironclad because uh, that kind of draws people away and you want to keep them near the course. Um, maybe bring the food trucks closer, um, cause that would make things a little bit easier because everyone wants to stay and watch the races. They don't want to have to walk a block over to go get food, especially when it's, you know, a lot of people trying to get food at the same time and get stuck over there for 45 minutes to an hour. So it's, it's really just more details. And a lot of it is up to the racers. I mean, if you want a big event with a lot of people, you got to sign up as an individual. I mean, it's like what they say with voting, like, you know, every vote counts. Well, it's like every person that shows up, you know, signs up and shows up. That's another person in that field. And we did max out a couple of the fields this year, but it would be cool to max out, you know, and then it's probably impossible to max out some of the women's fields. I mean, there, there might not even be enough women on the East coast to do, you know, 75 women in the four or five, but I mean, that would be that would be really awesome to have more women's representation, and I know um, some of the Maver events. Uh, but I think it was a road race that was the weekend before uh, my race had really good women's turnout, and so that's something we would like to uh, improve is is the women's turnout because it's yes, some of those courses are kind of technical and hard for new for new standards, but they're not. I mean, there's nothing crazy there, so I mean, it, nobody should feel intimidated to come and do some of these events. But it's just just little details are what's going to take the event to the next level. Well, Graham, your event is circled on my calendar for 2024. I'll be there. Thanks so much for joining us on the show. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the show. We are a proud part of the Wide Angle Podium network of shows. Today's episode was written, produced, and edited by me with extreme thanks to our guest, Graham Costa, for sharing his experiences with us. We will be back in two weeks with a special, 
live recorded version of the show. I can't believe we're doing this. It's going to be crazy and prone to failures, but we're going to give it a good old college try. So if you're in St. Louis on Thursday before Gateway Cup, come over to UCBC, the Urban Chestnut Brewing Company at 7.30, 7 o'clock doors open for the show. Again, a Thursday before Gateway Cup, Urban Chestnut Brewing Company, all the information will be available on our Instagram. Until next time, when we'll be back with more stories from our Criterium Nation.